As we undertake this building project, I think we all know that one thing that we always need to look at are the foundations when the building goes in. Can you hear me now? I got a green light, so. Foundations are important. I think uh, Ken can attest to this. If you're building a foundation for somebody, Ken, what do you look for? Can you give me an answer? What's that? Do it according to specs. How about working on undisturbed soil? Anybody ever thought of that? You build a building, especially in Jesus' day when they built buildings, they usually used a cornerstone. You think about that. What's a cornerstone? It's a stone that was placed on the lowest spot of the four corners of that building so everything else could be brought to that level. And the reason it was placed on the lowest spot because you never want to build a building where you filled in. Foundation will crack if you do that, if you don't do it right. Today, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 1. If you would turn there with me, see if I can magically put these glasses on without losing this microphone. Okay, it worked. As we're turning there, I want you to think about God's building project. And before we go any further, let's pray. Father, we do thank you now for this time. We thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is here at present in this room this morning, that, Lord, you're speaking to us would be coming directly from him, not from me, not from my thoughts, but from your Holy Spirit. Lord, we just ask now that hearts and minds would be open, that, Lord, we would be receptive to what you have for us this morning. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I guess this is a good place to start. In the beginning, where it all starts here. It says the earth was formless, verse 2, and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. God was doing a real undertaking because he loved his creation. He was doing a good job. He was going to look at every aspect of a building before he started. It says, The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Verse 3 says, Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. I look at this verse and I'm thinking, It sounds like there was at least one witness to what was going on here. Have you ever thought about that? When God was creating, there was at least one witness? When he says, let there be light, 
That's in parentheses. Somebody heard God say that. And it says, and there was light. So who was that that was a witness? Anybody got any ideas? Jesus, okay. The Holy Spirit. He says in verse 2, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Can you imagine God's Holy Spirit looking on, watching creation come about? And he's moving over the surface of the waters. He's inspecting before it's ever completed. And how can he do that? Because he's God. The Holy Spirit is God. I said there's at least one witness. I think there's two. Somebody else said the right answer before. Jesus was here also. When I look at verse 4 and it says, And God said, or God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. I don't know how many here have had an old tube type TV. Yeah, there's a word picture. Uh, an old tube type TV. And on that TV, of course, you had a channel selector. You had a volume on and off switch. And you had a couple other buttons. I think there were like four. One was horizontal hold. One was vertical hold. One was brightness. And the other was contrast. It says here, God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness for contrast. Think about it. Verse 3, we learned that God said, let there be light, and there was light. Cool. He also wanted that light to discern. That's what contrast is all about. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. That's day one of creation. How do we know that? Well, the word here, one day, Hebrew word is yam. And that's what it means. Day. I believe it was a 24-hour day. It wasn't millions of years. If we're to believe Scripture and believe that Jesus died on the cross for us, we need to believe. And God's saying this right here. We need to believe it. There's no getting around it. If we're going to discount this by saying, oh, it took thousands of years or hundreds of years or millions of years, we are saying that God's word isn't true. Think about that. So this is one day, 24 hours, I believe. Yam, the word yam, which means day, in Hebrew, is used 2,301 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot. And most times, it means one physical, ordinary day, 24 hours. Some have said, well, how do you know that it means 24 hours? Well, that's the greatest consensus. That's how it's used so many times. And my answer would be to them, how do you know that it wasn't 24 hours? Could it have been 24 hours? Well, yeah, it's day. Okay. So let's leave that there.
for the time being. We'll move on. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Well, sometimes scripture is a little bit difficult to understand. He talks about waters and separating the waters from the waters. And he talks about an expanse here. Maybe we just need to read on and try to figure this out as we go. But I always believe that the easiest path in reading the Scriptures is reading what it says and believing it. Not trying to put other things in there, but just take the easy, the literal view, always if we can. So God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God said it, it's so, okay. Is he talking about an atmosphere, this expanse between the waters below, the waters above, clouds in heaven? I don't know. But let's just say that's what it is. God called the expanse heaven. Oh, now it starts to get a little clearer. And there was evening and there was morning, a second day. Here we go. Another yam, another day. This is day two now. And he's starting on day three. Then God said, verse nine, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. You notice again, let the waters below the heavens and be gathered into one place. Let the dry land appear. Somebody witnessed this. It's quoted again. You don't write something down like you heard it from someone without putting a quote, quotation marks. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. God saw that it was good. I like that. God saw that it was good. He knew that it was good before he ever started this process. God thought about the cost. Just the way we're thinking about the cost of a building project. You think about, can I finish this project if we start it now? If we have 50% down, can we finish this project? Will the funds be there? And I think it's always wise to wonder and to think things through. I think God was thinking things through. I think God had a plan from the beginning. He knew what he was doing was good. And he saw that it was good and he said it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit and their kind with seed in them. It was so. The earth brought vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and the trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. Somebody observed that God saw that it was good. Do we know who wrote the book of Genesis? Who said that? Moses? That's, thank you. That's, that's what we believe. 
that Moses wrote it. Now, how did Moses observe this? The Holy Spirit inspired him. We see in verse 2 that the Holy Spirit was the one moving over the surface of the deep. He inspired every author of the books of the Bible. God breathed. Should we trust it? Yeah, I think we should too. The Holy Spirit's never lied to me. It's funny. A year ago, my wife and I went to Kentucky. We hooked the camper on the back of the truck. Our friends hooked their camper on the back of their truck. We loaded our two dogs in. They loaded their dog in. And we headed across country. We got to Kentucky. And we stayed in a state park at Union, Kentucky, called Big Bone Lick State Park. That's the name of it, yes. It sounds crazy. We set up camp. It was a good time. We spent a day there before we ventured out. Our original idea was to go see Ark Experience and the Creation Museum. And when you go to the Ark Experience and you walk in, and we didn't buy tickets ahead of time. Our friends did. They said, you know, you didn't buy your tickets ahead of time, but don't worry about it. We do have a homeschool convention going on, but we can handle 40,000 people. And there's not near that many people here. It was busy. They didn't look like homeschoolers. Most of them had hair like mine. Big part down the middle, white, and they moved slow. There were some homeschool kids there. It was awesome. We took in that ark. We walked it. Pete Peterson had given me a book to, to look at before, how it was built, what went into it, how many millions of dollars, how long it took, the size of trees that needed to be used to replicate. It was awesome. And yet it was a little bit like going to the Dells. It was a little bit commercialized. There was a restaurant there. There were food vendors. There were uh, lots of things. You could buy, while you were on the ark looking it over, you could buy fudge. You could buy a lot of different things. You know, that part, that part didn't impress me. When we were done that day and we got on the bus to head back to the parking lot, which is a mile away from, it seemed like anyways, a mile away from the ark, and there was a young man that got on with his mom and dad. And when the bus got to the place where they were going to drop us off so we could get to our vehicles, the young man says, can they just move a little faster? He was talking about some of the older folks. And his dad quietly sat him down and explained to him, you don't talk that way to older people. You need to have respect for them. Thought that was really neat. Homeschoolers, Christian schoolers are neat people. They still believe in doing things right with their kids. Taking that opportunity to explain why you don't treat people wrongly. The next day we spent at the campground again. We went through the museum that was there. Learned some things. Dogs liked it. We took a lot of walks. The day after that, we went to the Creation Museum. 
We knew it was homeschooler week. It was all tied together, obviously. That was my favorite. I didn't expect it to be. But walking through the Creation Museum, yeah, there were some vendors. There was places you could eat. Walking through there and seeing creation portrayed that way was awesome. As we walked through, we could hear in the loudspeaker that there was a special speaker that day. That if we would meet on the bottom floor at 11 o'clock by the theater, we'd get to go in and hear Ken Ham speak. It's like, wow, okay. I've heard of Ken Ham. Answers in Genesis. Other things. He was responsible basically for the Ark Experience and the Creation Museum. An Australian man. We waited. We were about 10 minutes early getting to that spot in the Creation Museum. As we waited there, we sat down. And people were going in and out. There was something going on in that room at that time. When it was done, they opened the doors and said, Come on in. We were some of the first ones to go in. We sat right in the front row. Here's Ken Ham speaking. We sat right there. I was impressed. Ken Ham is an awesome speaker. He believes in the six-day creation. God rested on the seventh day. He started talking about the facts of the church today. You mentioned some of the things that he talked about. Less than 50% of those who attend church regularly, an evangelical church, agree with evangelical thinking, less than 50% believe that there's even a possibility that it took six days for God to create this world. You see, something has crept in. Something has crept in and changed the way people think. Because it hasn't always been that way. Back in the 1800s, it wasn't that way. 99% of people that attended church on a regular basis believed that the creation took six days. What changed? Anybody got an idea? I hate to say this, Kevin. Science. Right? Exactly. Man's attempt to disqualify the account of Scripture. And why is that? Why would man want to disqualify? Why would these learned scientists want to disqualify Scripture? What? The ideology? Yeah. Okay. They want to believe they're smarter than God. That's the issue. And they're not. Let's go back to verse 12. We'll come back to this in a minute, but The earth brought forth vegetation plants yielding seed after their kind. Listen to that word, after their kind. Trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. 
So God created all these things for whose benefit? Yeah, really. It's coming. He's going to show that to us here. Verse 13 says, There was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for signs and seasons and for days and for years. Hmm. What did God do in verse 3? Said God said, let there be light. And there was light. 14 says, let there be lights in the expanse of heaven. So verse 14 basically is talking about sun, moon, and stars. Or it begins talking about it. That's on the fourth day of creation. How did we have light before that? What? Oh, it says right here. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Have you ever read the account of what it's going to be like in heaven? Or I should say the new Jerusalem when it comes down upon the earth. And it says, there will be no need for the sun. Why? Because God is what? God is light. He created light. For three days, it was just God's light. And in verse 14 here, which is the fourth day, let there be lights in the expanse of heaven to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. We're talking about a seven-day week, basically. This creation period. Okay? Where did seven days come from if it didn't come from here? Where did the seven-day week come from if it didn't come from right here? Other groups of people who were non-believers tried other periods of time that would repeat, and they never seemed to work out. Why is that? Because this was God designed. It says, let them be for signs, for seasons, for days, and years. Let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so God made the two great lights. What are the two great lights? The sun and the moon. Okay. The greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He made stars also. Why did he make stars? Absolutely. Thank you, Jay. CJ doesn't have the answers. The greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. Wow. He made the stars also. He placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night, verse 18, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. So now we're up to day five. God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let the birds fly above the earth in this open expanse in the heavens. He's still creating. Still creating. God created the great sea monsters. Hmm. What's a sea monster? The Leviathan? How about whales? Yeah. And they say there's some giant octopuses in the oceans. 
that we've hardly ever seen. Squid, whatever. Yeah. It's like, where did all this stuff come from? Well, God made it. God saw that it was good, it says. God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning. A fifth day. Here we go again. Another normal day for God. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. Cattle, creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was good. Sounds like God had a plan. Sounds like God was working his plan. Sounds like God thought this through beforehand. Then God said, this is day six. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There's a plurality here. Kevin, I'm going to pick on you. And your mother's name is June, right? Who does he look like? He does. No, your father was a great man. Good teacher. And yes, he does look like his father. Who do we look like? Our father. He said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Not that God had a physical likeness. But there are many ways for us to be like God. Not that we're ever going to be able to take his place because we can't. And he says, let them rule over the fish of the sea. That's the stuff he'd created the day before here. And over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Uh-oh. I don't know why, but that every creeping thing there just kind of creeps me out. I don't God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Okay. I think that says a lot about what goes on today. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. Verse 28, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. I don't know that two guys or two gals can be fruitful and multiply. I think it's physically impossible. I think something creeped in here. He says, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and what? Subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. You see, before the fall of mankind, man was designed to be a vegetarian. Now, I'm one of those PETA persons. People eating tasty animals. I like 
I like, I got a shirt that says catching deer. Pastor likes that one. But God supplied everything that we would need. Think about that. He says, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. We're into chapter 2 here. The sixth day is over with, it says. So his creation, creating, was over with. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And by the seventh day, God completed his work, which had been done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because it, in it he had rested from all his work, which God had created and made. I don't know how we can get it any clearer than this. Yes. You're right. Absolutely. You know your stuff, and I'm glad of it. Cool. I don't know that I've read it 500 times, and I never even opened the cover of my Bible. I don't think I even had one until I was 26 years old. But it's amazing what God's Holy Spirit can do when we let him work in our lives. It says, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in that day and the Lord God made the earth and heaven. Then he goes to verse 5 here and it's like, okay, something's changed. So was God still creating? He says, Now no shrub of the field yet was on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to to cultivate the ground. No, he's talking about what he did on the sixth day. He just went back and looked at it in a deeper way for us to see. He said, but a mist used to rise from the earth, water the whole surface of the ground. Didn't rain. We know that the firmament, the heavens, the expanse separated the waters from the waters. The waters in the clouds and the waters that were on the level ground. And he called those waters seas, okay? Then it said in verse 7 that God formed the man out of the dust of the ground. Okay, guess what? It wasn't first thing in the morning on that sixth day. Why? Because there was dust on the ground. He just said the mist rose from the ground every morning and wetted the ground. So there's a little timeline in here. Man was formed from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You see, you didn't come from goo man. There was no great explosion It didn't take millions of years. God formed the man from the dust of the ground and he breathed life into his nostrils. Awesome. God loves you. He wanted us to live for a reason. God, The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight 
and good for food, and the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. Now I'm going to skip down here just a little bit. Verse 15, it says of chapter 2, Then the Lord took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. But here's another word. But, Pastor, what is that word? When we Is that a, one of them conjunction things? <laughs> Causal conjunction? Yeah. See, I learned something from this guy. This is a causal conjunction. He says, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you will surely die. Right? Fair warning, right? Then God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground of the... The Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to all the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman. We're here today to give honor to our mothers. A woman, the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, whoa, man. No, that isn't what he said. This is now bone of my bones. In flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Think about that very fact. God put Adam into a deep sleep and he opened up his side, took a rib and fashioned it into a woman for him to have a suitable helper. Why do you think he chose a rib? Why didn't he use a thumb, or a big toe. Some men treat their wives like they're going to step on them or like they're going to push them around with their thumbs. God chose the rib. First of all, what does your rib cage do? It's protection. Think about it. It's protection. It keeps your organs safe. It helps you to Stand upright. See, God made woman to walk beside man. She was taken out of his side. God had a plan. Sometimes we've demeaned women in this world, and that's sad. Because without a suitable suitable helper, guys, where would we be now? Yeah, it'd be a lonely world. For this reason, man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. There's a lot to be understood in those verses. 
And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. We all know what takes place later. Now, was it Adam's fault? Was it Eve's fault? You're right. It it, It was man's fault. Let's just put it that way. But, how did that come about? The woman... Uh, let's let's go to chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which God had made and said to the woman, Indeed, has God said... Here he's making her wonder if God really said... I think there's a version that says, Did God really say, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent... Remember we talked about those creepy things on the ground? Here here is a creepy thing that man was supposed to subdue, and apparently we didn't do a very good job of it. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. She had that part right. From the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it. She had that part right. Now, What was lost in the translation? Because something changed here. If you look at it, the next few uh, words say, "You you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Wow. Did Adam maybe have a little bit of a complex over his wife because he's the one that heard this from God? And he said, Dear Don't eat from that tree. God told us not to. Don't even touch it. Is that what happened? Don't know. We can only surmise something happened. Then the serpent said to the woman, you you surely shall not die. Guess what? Death started right there. This is how creation came about. If we believe this, Do we walk the walk? Do we talk the walk? How is it that we've let the world try to place us with different views of how creation came about? God gave us this to understand, to read. He gave us the whole scripture. How is it we got to this place? Here I'm going to do something different. I'm going to take my shirt off. There's a reason why I'm doing this. No, I'm I'm not He-Man. I got a shirt on underneath. (laughs) Scott, I know. I know exactly what you're saying. I wore this shirt. I had a doctor's appointment five weeks ago. I wore this shirt to the doctor's office. It says, God planned it, Noah built it, and I believe it. And this is our encoder. I just thought, man, I go in, they're going to put a blood pressure cuff on me. They're going to pulse. I'd already been in a couple weeks before and had the blood panel done. You know, this is a once a year deal that you have to go through. And they're going to ask you some dumb questions. 
Well, let's see if we can get the questions changed just a little bit. I wore this shit to the doctor's office. I got my jacket on. I walked in the waiting room, sat down, and pretty soon the nurse was there calling my name, and I went with her. And, of course, you got to stop by the scale. Yeah. Well, actually, it was okay. I'd lost three or four pounds, so that was okay. But she looked at my shirt, and her eyes got big. And she walked me to the doctor's office and had me sit down in there, and then she asked me some questions, and she typed some things on the computer. And all the time she's looking at my shirt and kind of, what? Who is this guy? And yet I've known her as his nurse for a number of years. I'm not going to mention his name or her name. Half an hour later, finally my doctor comes in. How you doing? He sits down at the computer. He didn't hardly look at me. Right? We're talking. And he's talking about, you know, you should probably get the uh, pneumonia shot, person your age. I says, you know, Doc, I'll consider that. I'll study on that. Okay, yeah, I believe you will. And he looked at my shirt and he says, Ark, what's that say on your shirt? So I explained it to him. Wow, I guess they build these things. That was his answer. Wow, okay, we'll see if this goes any further. I thought, this is cool. It was a different question what he'd been asking me all these years. Then he talked about, oh, you should get the shingle shot. And he looked over again, he says, so tell me about the Ark Encounter. So I explained to him what it was. And that he could find the account in the book of Genesis. Cool. And he says, yeah, in the meantime, I'll study on the, on the shingle shot, too. He says, I'll consider it. And he looked at me and he says, I'll consider looking at the book of Genesis. He says, I never thought about it. And I says, actually, we went from there to the Creation Museum. Creation Museum? What did he need that for? How'd you get here? He looked at me kind of funny. And he says, I never thought about it. I says, you're a learned man. But some of the stuff you've learned is wrong. It's time to read the first 11 chapters in the book of Genesis. Understand what it says before you set your worldview to what it's been. Maybe you'll think about things differently. I'll think on that. And that's how we ended. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 John 1. Except we're going to start in verse 1. We're not going to start in verse 9. 1 John 1 says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Who's the word of life? Jesus Christ. 
And this life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. He was with the Father at the creation, along with the Holy Spirit. That's the us, and let us make man in our image. What we've seen, what we've heard, what we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness. No darkness at all, he says. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. How many people today are sitting in church and if somebody's speaking on creation are hearing a false account of it? Chances are it's 90% of the people that sit in church today. If they hear something about creation, it's a false account. It took millions of years. You see, God is light. That's why he gave us light clear back in verse 3, the first day. The contrast. What's the world say? What are the scientists saying today? And that's all changed in the last two to 300 years. You understand that in Martin Luther's day, he argued that the creation took a full six days. The belief at that point was it took one day. And he gave all the same arguments. Yom, a day. And there was a number behind it, day one. A number behind it, day two. A number behind it, day three. A number behind it, day four. Day five, day six. And then God rested. God did not preserve his word to have us not believe it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, that you work in hearts in ways that we can't always understand. I know, Lord, that you worked in my heart when pastor asked me six weeks ago to preach to fill in because he needed a short break. Lord, thank you. The Holy Spirit brought me to this portion of Scripture at this time for me to understand what you've done for us and what you continue to do for us. Lord, help us as a people to understand that you're the one that created us and you created us with a purpose. And that is to share the truth with others. Lord, help us to apply that to our lives and to see others saved before this world is gone as we know it. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.